0: Welcome to The Work of Art. I'm Ted Weinstein. The Work of Art is a series of conversations with some of the world's leading writers, musicians, photographers, artists, and others discussing their creative process and their creative lives. Today's guest is photographer Brittany Sensabaugh. She lives in Oakland, California, and travels to cities around the country documenting, as she puts it, communities that have been forgotten and people who feel they have no voice. Her work has been covered by the PBS NewsHour, Teen Vogue, and nearly every major Bay Area periodical. In the past year, she has had solo exhibitions on both coasts, and she talks by phone today from Oakland. Welcome.
1: Hello. Peace and light.
0: Indeed. A question for you to get started because it seems so much the core of your work is you use the phrase the power of melanin to describe your focus and your philosophy. Tell me more what that signifies.
1: Well, my entire movement um, when I document is called 222 The Forgotten Cities. And within that movement or what that movement consists of is me going to different cities around the world that the media talks down about and that gets um usually if any media coverage is negative but usually it's no media coverage at all um but i go to these areas to show um the struggle that is going on and, and basically the why that it's going on because when you when you hear about certain areas that i've in, in the cities that i've documented you usually hear you know it's a lot of drugs um coming in, it's a lot of uh, violence, it's a lot of killing, but you don't ever fully get the reason of why these things are happening. So with Forgotten Cities, I wanted to go and I wanted to take um, the people that view my documentations through a walk to show you guys, like, why these things are happening and to also show that that's not just happening. Those are not the only things that are happening in these communities. With the power of melanin, it is an extension of 222 Forgotten Cities, where I'm showing you, um, giving giving you a more in depth look of our culture as a people. So you'll see images of our hair, um, which is the first phase that I um, that I documented. The second phase is going to be, which I'm working on now, which is going to be the communication and the way we dress. Um, but I wanted to highlight this aspect of our people because with, with two, two, two Forgotten Cities as a whole, it's seeing, you know, melanated people in very destructive, um, situations and conditions. So I wanted to add to it by uplifting our vibrations to show us the why we are beautiful, um, within and what makes us so strong within these destructive and, um, really bad conditions and situations that we are in.
0: It looks like you've been to a bunch of neat cities, Chicago, Boston, Baltimore, Houston. Tell me, what does the 222 prefix signify?
1: Um, 222 is, so in 2007, my older brother Michael gave me my first Kodak camera. Two years after that, he died in his sleep um, at the age of 28. And two years after that, I moved to New York. And before I did photography, I was a writer, so, by him giving me this professional camera, I always like did photography or took photos like every now and then, but it wasn't with like a high definition camera, it was just like with a like little like um little small camera um and so by him giving me that camera, it took my my photography to the next level, and it put me in the my in the mentality um of being able to document with a tool, or, or with a tool, I feel like that, is, that will be much, that will show the power in a more like stronger like light.
0: It's really interesting that you talk about the gear. It's funny. It's one of those, some people use the phrase, the best camera is whichever camera you have with you. But something I wrestle with as an amateur photographer and some other guests on the podcast have talked about even walking around with a little pocket camera versus a big professional grade camera, it almost changes the way you think of yourself even before you start taking pictures of others. Yeah,
1: it's so true. But you know what? It's it's interesting because in the beginning of when I first started doing photography, um, I did have the mentality of, oh my God, he gave me this big camera. It's going to, you know, make me go further within my career. But um, as I started to document, as I, was, as I got older, now, me being where I'm at now, I don't really um, have that same mentality on it. Because now I'm all about, if you was to ask me, um, you know, what do I shoot with? I'll, I shoot with the Canon 5D Mark II, but I will always tell everybody that asks me that, um, that it's really about the vision and it's about um, your perspective on it so i'm I'm one of those photographers, which I consider myself a documentarian at this point, but um i'm always on I always state that like you can have like the biggest, most best professional camera, but if you don't have the vision and the passion and the mission to go beyond it or to go with it um the impact is not gonna be as as strong I feel like. Yeah, I feel like definitely you have to make sure you have um, the mission. Like, what is your mission, you know? And with forgotten cities, um, or two to forgotten cities, the mission is is to uplift the people that are in the trenches and that are feeling hopeless and that are um, in conditions where they have a lack of resources and a lack of space and a lack of access to be able to grow.
0: Now you raise an interesting topic here, which you say you think of yourself as a documentarian. You're also clearly an advocate. Does the work you're doing feel like advocacy or art or both?:
1: I both. You know, I'm very big on not really labeling myself because I don't like to feel like I'm limiting myself to, to anything or putting myself in a box, but I feel like it's definitely both. Um, I consider myself a documentarian at this point because it's much more than me just going out and taking photos of these of, of the people living in these communities. Um, I Before I even pick up my camera to take a photo, I go to these different cities and I walk around and I build... With, the, um, with my people in these different communities. You know, it, it can be from a 20-minute conversation to an hour to a couple of days before I even actually take a photo and document them. So to me, it's me giving them back a piece of history that has been taken away from them or that has been um, bombard- basically a lot of these communities have been b- bombarded, um, a lot of these people um, in these communities have been bombarded with lies, you know, uh, that has been told about them. And so when you go into these different areas, you, you feel the, the, the helplessness and you, and you feel the, um, you know, they feel like they don't matter because no one goes down there. And if, and if anyone does go down there, it's usually something that's, you know, being negative, negatively said about the place or um, the people that's living in these areas.
0: So when you are going down and you say you talk to folks first, are you doing the conversations, are you recording the conversations, or is it really just a time of empathy, and then you come back later with a camera?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely, because, you know, another thing, too, um, I always tell people, I'm from East Oakland. So, like, the people, the, area, the areas that I go in are a reflection of me. And, they're, you know, it's, it's all people always ask me how do I approach them as if they're strangers and they're not. They're my people. In these areas, the people look just like me. And the struggles that they are going through, I am going through. You know, so it's, it's not like a, I'm looking at an outside, like I'm going in and not really overstanding what they're going through because I'm going through it too. Also, too, being from East Oakland, there was always a, you know, which, which is one of the reasons why I started 222 Forgotten Cities is because I was on a train, and this Caucasian lady um, pointed down to my Oakland hoodie. Um, I was on the A train in New York when I was living out there, and she pointed down to my Oakland hoodie, and she basically said, don't ever go to that place because it's nothing but drug dealers, um and people that uh do crime and that's you know nasty there and I you know I let her go on but then I stopped her you not know, and I basically said that I'm none of those things and people that I you know know that live there are none of those things and I'm from there but she had never even been to Oakland she had only said that based upon the um, perception that she got from mainstream media you know, in a lot of these places, when I go into, I just came from New Orleans. I, I went and documented the wards. But what's interesting, when you hear about New Orleans now, it's 11 years, and a lot of people the week that I um, – it's 11 years since Katrina have happened. And a lot of people, when I went down uh, two weeks ago, they were telling me, like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be so beautiful, and it's a jazz fest. Um, but they – you know, me going down there – I was in the ward, so a lot of the, the um, rebuilding that has happened has been in the French quarters, but it hasn't been in the areas where the most poverty is going on now, which is in the wards. If you go to New Orleans right, right now, um, I've documented the 8th ward, Holly Grove, and 7th ward. It still looks like Katrina just happened. So, you know, it's interesting that, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, they rebuilt it, but they haven't rebuilt it at all.
0: It's interesting you talk about the comment from the woman on the A-Train looking at your uh, Oakland hoodie, because just yesterday Donald Trump was quoted as, uh, actually it was, I think it might have been on Twitter, saying that uh, Ferguson and Oakland are the two most dangerous places in the world right now. And to her credit, the Oakland mayor fired back. She said, no, the most dangerous place in America right now is Donald Trump's mouth. Well,
1: it's interesting. The thing about Oakland right now, and I... And I um I have said this for the last couple of days with gentrification happening. There is a lot of people that are not from Oakland wearing Oakland hoodies because it had people have came in and gentrified it in a sense of of made it look prettier and put certain cafes in and, you know, made it to their liking. But they weren't wearing these Oakland hoodies and T-shirts when the crime rate, quote unquote, was second. You know, like they weren't wearing it when people were dying and, weren't, you know, they weren't wearing this attire or these Oakland T-shirts. They, they weren't proud to represent Oakland until they made it, um, until they changed it. <laughs> and until they not only changed it, but until they moved the people out that have been living in these um, destructive conditions. So I find it really interesting that a lot of people are wearing Oakland uh oakland t-shirts now coming back from new york and and walking around and i'm like well a couple years ago like i was you know talked down about for wearing an oakland hoodie but now everyone has it on because it looks pretty now you know downtown uber's coming in so like it it looks appealing to the eye because people have come in and like made it to their made it their own when they're really not even respecting the culture that was already there
0: it's interesting when you talk about if you, when you go in to shoot, I was trying to imagine if I went with you for a day alongside and you sat down and talked to folks in the same way you do now when you go on your own to whatever neighborhood you're walking around in, would my presence as a really pale white guy, would that change the whole conversation, I'm assuming?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. You're, you being around would definitely change the perspective um, of the conversation. But, you know, a lot of what's happening in Oakland, <clears throat> What's happened in Chicago, Houston, Baltimore, Philly, um, New York? Um, I've documented, watch Los Angeles as well. In these areas, it feels like a third war country, like like war zone. You know, like I always say that we are love, but we are at war every time that we walk outside. And and what makes us so beautiful is our strength, because you you know to be a melanated person and Side of this society, you, you have to definitely be very strategic in the way that you approach anything, because if not, you'll end up dead, um, you'll end up in jail, or you, know, you won't end up with the same opportunities as someone that isn't melanated.
0: Your work is in a long tradition, that, both photographically and politically, that's been called, I guess, community portraiture. Do you see this as an ongoing project, or will you move on to other topics at some point?
1: Definitely, um, you know, this is the first phase because I shot my first book cover called Push Out, um, and it touches basic, it's basically um, the criminalization of black girls in schools. So th- with my photography, with, with Two Forgotten Cities, it's opened up different doors now for me where I can touch bases on different topics that I have basically shown in my photography, which is good. Like, as of right now, I'm speaking on panels. So a lot of people have considered my photography um, and my documentations like social justice. Definitely the next step is to, I want to go back to these communities and I want to Kind of go to show like a before and an after. So I definitely it's 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 always an ongoing process, you know. Like every time I go into these communities, I make sure like if I whenever whatever picture that I've taken or whatever pictures that I've taken, I go back and I give a picture back to them. You know, I make sure it's it's I make sure I don't just go in and just document and leave them. I I revisit. It's about the revisiting, and it's, and it's about. Um, you know, having them know that you know that they're not alone.
0: And so, you do you go back and, and schedule shows in communities? In, uh,
1: yes, definitely. I, yeah, that's also the next phase. I am going to go back um, and have shows with the, in the different cities that I've documented um, to display the different documentations that I've that I've shot in there in the in the community. And then also too, I'm coming out with the Power of Melanin Hair Book. So just different ways that I can continue to uplift the vibrations in these, in these areas that constantly are um, destroyed.
0: You said that you are thinking about working now looking at clothing styles, having uh, done such great photos of hairstyles. There's a really neat exhibit at the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco called Dandy Lions. And it's photos of the male dandy style, which I guess started in Africa and is now spreading in the U.S. as well, of some of the guys who really dress up wild and fancy. Are you looking to find distinctive styles of dress or just to document the way folks dress, quote, normally in the community?
1: I want to just hold on to our culture. And so whatever style of dress that does that, I'm going to document. I want to show... You know us in our proper form, and not and not us dressing to you know uh, and not us dressing to confine to society standards. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, it definitely will be me documenting us in just our normal state,
0: everyday life, not folks who are are putting on a different style. Yeah,
1: no, yeah, just definitely us documenting, um, and also too. I think uh, the way that we dress is uh, is you know is is an element within itself. Everything that melanated people do because we are the crea- we are creators is something within itself. It's its own element our our the way our communication is, the way our hair is, you know, and and that's why I definitely want to continuously highlight that because those are things that we in this society are talked down about the way that we dress, the way that our hair is, the way that we speak. Those are things that, um, you know, living in this, in, in America, it makes you want to change those things.
0: And or they get a co-opted by the white culture. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it makes you feel like, you know, how the way that you dress and the way that you talk and the way that, you, that your hair is, you know, because it's not accepted, um, You know, like, um, as a whole, you start to think, like, well, maybe I should change it. And my mission behind, you know, doing um, the different phases within the power of melanin is to show, like, no, like, you shouldn't change it because that's what makes you most powerful and and that's what makes you beautiful is your hair and the way that you dress and your communication. And also, too, like, with 2 to 2 Forgotten Cities and the power of melanin is basically a platform and a blueprint For my people to grow from, you know, it's a table that they can sit at and feel comfortable about sitting at and not have to feel like they have to sit at somebody else's table to be accepted in this society. When I go down there, they're, you know, looking at me like, well, why are you coming to see us? And, you know, with with Forgotten Cities, I want to plant the seed that anywhere where people look like you, you need to go and visit and show love and spread love. And and build and talk and hug and and um and trust. The trust is broken. The trust is broken because in a lot of these different communities too, you walk around and there's nothing but um just psychologically when you walk around and see imagery of these different communities, there's bars uh, over windows and and there's there's bars everywhere. And and psychologically, when there's bars in your neighborhood, it reminds you that you're living that you're caged up living in a jail. And and my photography is, over time, going to continuously reveal those
0: reasons. You take great photographs of kids. It's really neat. One after another, the children, you just get a smile out of them and you get a sense of personality out of them. Have you had uh, any of the kids want to learn how to shoot photography? Are you doing any teaching of photography as a craft itself?
1: Yes, that's, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. So when I was telling you that um, I've been speaking on panels, a lot of the panels that I've been speaking on have been, have dealt with kids. And I have went and talked to a different couple of schools to be an example of a person that has came from an area that society has talked down about. But I have created my own movement to, in my own outlet, to basically um, get out of and I wouldn't say get out of because I'm, I'm still, I, you know, I'm still dealing with it every day just like they are. But just an outlet that I can express myself and not feel like I have to confine and not feel like I have to answer to anybody. So being in certain schools and, and when you're melanated, it's a, it's a struggle within itself because you're not taught about yourself in, in those schools. You know, you're, you're. it's definitely a double-edged sword, like when you go to school and then when you go back home. In both areas, you're not taught about yourself. So it's a lack of identity.
0: So is there an opportunity to buy a bunch of inexpensive cameras or old cell phones, smartphones, set them up with Instagram accounts for the kids?
1: Yes. Yeah, like, uh, actually, June, I'm working with this organization, beautiful organization called NAMAC um, in the lady's name is Wendy Levy, and I teamed up with her. Um, I'm actually a creative director within her organization, and um, I was already – she had approached me to have my photography a part of her uh, Oakland Fence Project, where I basically um, gave her three photos to blow up like uh, three to six feet, and it's going to be in fences around the communities of Oakland. Um, and then she asked me, was I doing anything with, with kids, like with, within this project? And I said, yeah, I would love to shoot with different kids that I've spoken to in different schools. I'd pick out a couple of kids that I've spoken to and have them come shooting me, spoken with me. And I did that.
0: So just for folks who are listening, Wendy Levy is the executive director of the National Alliance for Media, Arts, and Culture, which is NAMAC. And that's the organization uh, that you're working with. It looks like a fantastic project.
1: Yes, the Oakland Fence project. Um, when you look at the photo that's going to be on the Sense, you're going, you, if you have a smartphone, and it's going, to be, um, it's, it's going to be connected with other phones as well, but the first, uh, first phase of it is going to be iPhones. You put your phone up to the, the um, image, and it's going to tell, the, tell a story about the image.
0: That's great. So it's like the conversations you have before you even start shooting.
1: Yes. So you'll see a photo of me, of of what I've shot, and then you hold your camera up to the photo, and then you'll get the back end, or you know, the story and the building that I've done with the different people in the communities. But it's so good to definitely. So within this project, I brought along three, um, three people, three people, two. two kings and one empress are brought, um, onto the project. And so it's, it definitely felt good to see them, um, and to see them have an outlet and to express themselves. Um, but also to to see their
0: express their perspective. What do you mean? Kings and empress.
1: Yeah. Kings and empress. So when I, when I speak about, um, people, I always say, um, Peace King and Peace Empress, that is my greeting to them. And I greet them in that manner to basically put them back in the mentality of their worth because a lot of them, a lot of us in these different communities have forgotten about our worth. You know, we don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we matter. So I put us back into the mentality of, of that royalty that we come from as a people.
0: How old were these kids that you worked with on this project?
1: Two. They actually just graduated high school. So one of them was 18 and the other two was 17.
0: You think they are, uh, they're they're going to stick with photography? Did they get, they enjoyed it?
1: Yeah, they are. They are actually, yes, yeah, they are. I, when I, I spoke with them yesterday at the meeting and they want to continue this, they want to continue doing photography. So that made me really excited. And um, I'm going to definitely, I'm going to add more kids to the project and I'm thinking about doing um, just workshops where I can like um, incorporate just teaching photography, and not only teaching photography, but just teaching the ability to express yourself when you're under certain like conditions, and when you're under and when you're in certain areas. I'm working on doing different workshops to just I want to say not attack, but to build up the psychological mentality that I feel like that we are lacking, like, as a people. We are really lacking um, psychologically because of the destructive conditions that we are in every day. In a lot of different cities that I've documented, the reminder of death um, is always floating around in, in your mentality because at such a young age, you, are, you're, you see your first death at 10, a lot of uh, young kings have saw a lot of, you know, their friends die right in front of them. That's where I'm at right now with Forgotten Cities. I want to heal. If you ask me, the next phase is to heal. It's, and when that's, actually, that's a continuous phase. We need to, we need to heal ourselves. Um, from a lot of the trauma that we have been facing in our generation and generation before us. I'm dealing with trauma that my mom has dealt with. I'm dealing with my mom's trauma, and then I'm dealing with my trauma at the age of 26, being a melanated woman inside of this community. So it's uh, years and years of generational struggle. and you know, But society doesn't look at that. They're only looking at, it like, oh, well, you know, like, you know they 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 just kill and their their neighborhoods are, are so dangerous and it's like but why though we didn't just wake up and want to be dangerous we didn't just wake up and want to want to kill a lot of that you know goes that comes from wanting to survive and surviving is far from living we wake up every day um, wanting to survive in this society not living but surviving um, went to to two forgotten cities I want to enlighten my people, and I want them to start back living.
0: Today's guest was Brittany Sensabaugh. She's a photographer, teacher, and activist with The 222 Project and The Power of Melanin, and links to all of her work are available on the Work of Art podcast website. Brittany, thank you so much for talking today.
1: Peace and light. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to The Work of Art. I'm Ted Weinstein. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and will listen to many more. Our theme music is by Mental 99 and used with their kind permission. A production of Ted Weinstein Literary Management, this has been The Work of Art.